Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, come on. Good morning. Uh, these lights up here blind me, so I really can't see you guys out there. So I need to know I'm not talking to myself, okay? I don't do very good that way. And that, so if someone could do a yes or an amen or hallelujah or something like that during the service, that would be uh, great too. Just so I know you guys haven't left the building, okay? That'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, my name is Eric Lee. Like I said, I work at Burden Bears. I'm one of uh, four counselors there. We also have an intern uh, there that we have at Burden Bears. And uh, we're a Christian counseling organization that uh, reaches out into the community and, and helps uh, people with all sorts of different things. We've seen uh, with ang anxiety, depression, marital issues such as communication, sometimes uh, with anger between couples and what's going on there and all the different things. That's what we, we help people to navigate through some of this stuff and the past hurts and also with people that come in with, uh, with uh, past sexual abuse issues and, and emotional abuse and uh, spiritual abuse and mental abuse as well. And so we kind of help people understand and navigate through all that type of stuff and help to bring healing for them. As a counselor, one of uh, our jobs, one of my jobs as a counselor is to uh, help people to see things that sometimes they're not so willing to see. And we, and we confront people. We don't do it meanly or harshly. We do it quite as softly and we kind of point things out. We ask the questions that get them to think about different things and we point different things out for them. And we're not trying to convince anybody whatsoever that something's a problem when they don't think it is. We're just trying to point things out and explore things with them. But confronting is something that we do on a somewhat of a regular, a regular basis. Now, I don't like to confront people. I, I really hate it. And, and I'm just wondering, how many people here like to confront people? I have a show of hands. There's usually a couple in the audience that like to, but you know, no one really likes to confront, right? It's not a fun thing to do because you never know what's going to happen. And we don't know how the other person's going to take it and stuff of that nature. And if you have your scriptures with you, if you, if you like to uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 2 to the end of the chapter. If you have your Bibles with you or if you have electronic devices, open them up and, and get onto that section of scripture. And that's where I want to focus on today is how Paul confronts the Corinthians. Now, in, in my scriptures, uh, there's a little title above this section called Paul's Joy. Now, obviously, you know, that's just someone's decided that's what this section is, and they've written that in there. It's not scriptural or anything. It's just put there. But I like what it has to say. It's Paul's joy. Paul is having this wonderful joy of what happened with the Corinthians, of what's going on with them, and how encouraging, encouraging they are to, them and, to him and his group that's in Macedonia at this particular time. So that's what Paul's joy is really all about. And as, so why don't we get into the scripture and we'll read, but before we do that, let's pray and ask God's guidance as we start here today. Dear Heavenly Father and gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come and we can gather in your name and that we can worship here together with you. We thank you for being present with us here, Lord. And Father, as you look into your word here today, Lord, we ask that you open our eyes so we can see your word, see your truth. They open our ears so we can hear your voice. 
But most of all, Father, I ask that you would soften our hearts, that we may take in what you have to teach us here today and we can make it part of who we are. Father, we thank you for being present. We thank you for being with us in our worship here today. And we come to worship you, Lord. And Father, as we do that, we go into our message time. And Father, I ask for your anointing upon me that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that I would speak your words, not my own. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's get to reading 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not <clears throat> say this to condemn you. I, ha I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came in into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by his comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you, become, you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent of this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did wrong or on the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit <clears throat> had been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you too, about you to Titus, has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Now to understand this whole section of scripture, we really have to not start at verse 2, but actually have to go to verse 8. 
And then it becomes a little bit more clear what's going on here. Because if you look at this section of Scripture, it looks like, okay, Paul's talking about how happy he is, how joyful he is about, about the Corinthians and everything. It kind of seems almost out of place because bef just before he's talking to people not being unequally yoked, he's, he's going back here and you know, going back in Scripture. It says the ministry of reconciliation. He's talking about all these different things go forward. And all of a sudden, he's got this plumped in the middle here in chapter 7 about how much joy he has about the Corinthians, what's happening with the Corinthians. Well, where'd that come from? Well, it looks like, if you, read, if you look at chapter, uh, verse 8 in chapter 7, Paul had to write a letter of confrontation. He had to confront them about some things they were doing that were wrong. Many of us don't like to confront people because, quite frankly, we don't do it well. We confront people with wrong motives. We confront people with anger. We confront people with, we got to show them what they're doing is wrong, and we got to prove to them what's happening is wrong. We got to do all these things. We, we do it in a way that's all it's going to do is bring more hardship. All it's going to do is bring more hurt. So there's some, in this section of Scripture here that we're going to take a look at here today, I think there's some principles that we can pull from, from Paul's letter to the Corinthians about how to handle confrontation in a godly manner. In verse 8, it talks about that Paul, he says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I did not regret it, though I did regret it. He didn't want to write this letter, but he felt he had to write it. So number one point, I would say, when you're looking at confronting somebody, is do you have to do this? Is it so much that you, that you have to do this confrontation? That's a good question to ask. Do I have to? Do you, are you fearful of doing it? Paul was. The reason why we have such a hard time is because we never know which way confrontation is going to go. And in Paul's letter, he had no clue what was going to happen. Now, we don't have that letter that, uh, that Paul sent to the Corinthians. For some reason, God in his sovereignty decided that was not needed as part of the canon, so it's not there. So we really don't know. We have clues in the book of Corinthians and other scriptures about what that letter was, but we really don't know what, it, what he actually said in it. So we know, but we do know that he confronted them about some of the behaviors that were happening there. So, but he didn't do it willingly. He didn't do it like, yes, I got to do this. As a pastor, I've been a pastor for 17 years, and it's been really interesting that the people that want to confront, I've had all sorts of different people that say, I got to confront this person. And some of them are so eager to do it. They just want to get into somebody's face and show them what they're doing is wrong so badly. They're just so wanting to do that. And, I, and, and, they, and, always, and it always, always ends badly. So number one principle, I don't want to do this, but I feel it needs to be done. God is leading me to do this. Now, we're going to be kind of zipping around in this chapter here a little bit. So now I'll zip over to, oh, to verse 2 here. It says, the second principle here comes from verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, which Paul talks about how much he loves the Corinthians. Let's read it a little bit here. Let's go to verse 3 here. I do not say this to condemn you, I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. He loves the Corinthians so much that he would live with them 
or he would die with them. That's how much he loves them so much. And he asks them in verse 2 to open up their heart to, to him as well. In other words, receive him, accept me. Make, you know, that's what he's asking for. Open up your heart, love me as I love you. So number two is what type of relationship do you have with the people that you want to confront? I think that's a very important question. Most people only want to confront people that they really don't know. They see some behavior they don't like. Oh, I'm going to go confront that person. Paul knows these people intimately. He loves them dearly. So anything that he is going to say, he's going to say it out of love and compassion, not out of anger and of spite. So number one, do we have to write this? Do I have to do this? I don't want to, but I... I feel God wants me to. Do I love these people? Do I care about these people? Or am I doing this out of anger? See, one of the great ways that Paul confronts, even in this particular part of his, his letter, in, in, in uh, verse 2, he confronts in a really interesting way. It's a way that, that I often uh, talk to, uh, to couples about. If they have an issue that they want to talk about, if there's something's bothering them, if, so, if their spouses hurt them, I often say, you know, you don't want to go talking to your, to your spouse about how much they've done wrong, what they did wrong, and how what they said hurt you so badly, and all the rest of it. You don't want to do that, because that's not going to lead you just to a fight. What you really want to do about this is you want to talk about what was done, what was said, how it affected you. You know, when this was said, I really felt disrespected. I really felt belittled. I really, what, whatever, however you felt. And that's going to draw people in because most of the time, spouses don't want to hurt their spouse. Husbands don't want to hurt wives. Wives don't want to hurt husbands. That's not what we normally want to do. And but when we share what was dead or done and how much it hurt us, how it affected us, not that you got me so angry. As soon as you use the you word, you're in for a fight. This will give you guys a heads up, free counseling here. If you use you, you're going to have a fight. If you use I and what's going on with me, and what's happening with me, myself. It's going to draw your spouse closer. When you use the word you, it pulls, pushes them away. And Paul, in verse 2 here, uses that concept. He says, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. He talks about us. He's talking about him and his group. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. Paul hasn't wronged anybody. He doesn't say, you're accusing us of wronging people. That never happened. Show me where I did that. And he doesn't say any of that. He goes in, I, we, have wronged no one. We didn't do anything wrong. We haven't exploited anybody. We don't, we're not going in there asking people to give us money so we can stay here. Staying at people's houses is not helping. Paul was a tent maker. Where he went on a mission trip, he made tents. He made his own way through. I'm sure people did give him stuff and helped him out. I'm sure of that. Scripture talks about that. But he didn't do it on a regular basis. It wasn't something he felt that he had to do. And he corrupted no one. Corruption here is talking about people, him leading people away from God. He was talking about Christ. He was talking about the gospel. He was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with that. It had to bring people back into a right relationship 
with God. But you notice how he says it. It's about, we've done nothing like this. I haven't done anything like this. This is something that people can hear, at least have the opportunity to hear. Okay? So, yeah, that leads us to our, our, next, our, our next part of it, our, our next point in this whole thing is, what is our motivation? What's our motivation? To confront somebody. As a counselor, my motivation as a counselor is not to convince anybody of anything. That's not what I do. My specialty in my counseling field is addictions specifically sex addiction and pornography addiction, but I deal with a lot of chemical addictions too, like alcohol and drugs and marijuana and all that type of stuff. And when, every once in a while, I'll get a client that comes in and I'll ask them what, eventually what brings you to see me here today. And they'll say, well, my wife wants me to be here or I was mandated by the courts to be here or something along those lines or my husband wanted me to be here. And I don't think I need to be here. He says, oh, okay, what is your wife why does your wife want you to be here? Well, she thinks I drink too much. Oh, okay. Do you think you drink too much? Well, no, I don't think so. Oh, okay. So you're a beer drinker, hard, hard liquor, what do you drink? Oh, I'm a beer drinker. Oh, okay. So uh, how you drink when you come home from work every day? He says, oh yeah, probably a few beers a day. So what, 10, 12 beers a night? And they go, oh, nah, not like that. Maybe six, eight beers, something like that. Oh, okay, so what, six, eight beers a night? Yeah. Okay, when your day's off, do you drink more on your day's off? Oh, yeah, I drink more on the day's off. But, you know, I don't start before noon. Oh, okay, so how many would you have, say, in the afternoon? Oh, maybe about six, four, six beers, something like that. What about later on in the evening? Oh, it depends. We have a fire. Usually have a fire going? Yeah, we have a fire. And how many beers do you drink? Oh, well, maybe another six on there. Okay, okay. So... Yeah, we'll just talk more about different things. We'll go off on different topics. And then I'll say to him a little bit later on, so you're telling me that you drink between 40 and 60 beer a week. And he goes, and they usually sit there silent for a second and go, yeah, I guess so. And then we'll just leave it. And we'll talk about it again. But usually about halfway through the counseling session or three quarters of the way through the counseling session, the, the person I'm talking to is going to say, you know, that's a lot of beer. I go, yeah, it is. Maybe I do have a problem. Maybe. Shall we explore that? And then we can get into it, and we can explore it with that person. But my motivation isn't to convince anybody. My motivation is to point a few things out. Paul's motivation here in his letter is to bring people into back, into, back into relationship with God. That's his motivation. Anytime we rebuke people or confront people, we have to ask ourselves, what's my motivation? Is my motivation to just get my anger out and just spew all over these people and tell them how bad they are? Or is my motivation to bring them back into a right relationship with God? So, number one, do I have to do this? Oh, yeah, I do, so I'm going to. Okay. Number two, number two, it's out of love. And I, how much do I know these people? How much can I speak into these people's lives? That's the second one. And what's my motivation? What is my motivation? It's very important. 
Paul's motivation was to bring them back into a right relationship with God. And it worked, too, as we continue reading on in chapter 7 here. I just want to go over it a little bit more. You see, what he wanted was repentance. They wanted to have godly repentance from them. See, God intended... And so we're not, sorry, uh, starting at verse 10, sorry. Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I just want to stop there for a second. See, when we repent, when we, sorry, when we confront people, we confront, there's two outcomes we can have. Well, there's three, I guess. There you can have people told to ignore us. We can have worldly sorrow or we have godly sorrow. As we, when I was preparing for today, I was looking up, I was looking up, okay, what is this worldly sorrow talking about? And one of the examples that was given in one of the commentaries I had was the, was the example of Judas Iscariot. His example of worldly sorrow. Judas betrayed Jesus, and after he betrayed Jesus, he went back to the religious leaders, threw the money back at them, and went and hung himself because he was so sorrowful of what had happened. It didn't lead to life, it led to death. We don't want that type, do we? We want people to seek out after God. We want them to have a godly repentance, which leads to life. If we continue going here in verse, verse 11, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done at every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter so that's what paul was wanting he was wanting them to get a godly sorrow a godly sorrow that would lead to godly repentance repentance is is really basically i'm going this direction i'm going to go this direction i'm i was going to go i was going to say this i'm not going to say that i'm going to go this way i'm going to do this instead that's what repentance is all about an actual turning away from what we were doing into something we should be doing that's going to lead to life Amen. thank you that's what we need to do. That's what it's all about. That's what confronting is about. It's not a for you to get out all your anger and all your angst about everything. It's about to help to bring people into right relationship with God. And you do that not by telling them how bad they are, or how terrible they are, but what's going on with you. What's happening with you? Like I gave that example for spouses. Any people, if you're any type of relationship, if you want to fight with somebody, just tell them how mad you are at them. Oh, you'll fight. If you want to solve issues and bring people back into relationship, then you talk about how you're doing. As soon as you use the word you, I can guarantee you your spouse isn't listening to you anymore. Your spouse is now waiting for you to take a breath waiting for a pause so they can get in what they want to say. And it just goes in spirals from there. But if you tell them about how you're doing, it draws them closer, because I can guarantee you that they're not trying to hurt you. They did, but they're not trying to. Rarely that does happen, but that's a rarity. Okay? So those are three things that are going on here. 
that we have to look at when we're looking at this type of stuff. What are we doing? And, and you know, as, as I'm looking at this chapter, Paul is just overjoyed with all of this different stuff that's happening. You know, and he's so joyful over what's, how, what the Corinthians have come back into a right relationship with, our, with the Lord and Savior. That's what he's happy about. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting as, as when I was a pastor and I had people that went out and they wanted to confront others about certain things. And they would go do it, and that person would repent. That person would see, yeah, you're right, that's wrong, I shouldn't be doing that, and they repent. You know what I would get a lot of the times? I get, oh, we'll see how long that lasts. We'll just wait. Just wait. See how much, see how long that's going to last. And we get people, they just stand back and they just want to see what's going on because they don't want to get invested again because they don't want to get hurt again. Paul doesn't do that. What does Paul do? He fully embraces them. He goes, wonderful, you've repented, everything is going so much better, and, he's, and his joy is just building and building. You can just, as you read the letter, in this section of the letter, you can just feel that joy just bubbling up and going because the people have repented, and he's welcoming them back. And so often, we as Christians, we sit back and go, well, we'll just see how long it lasts, and then I'll see what I'm going to do. Now, I'll tell you, as a person who deals with addictions a lot of the time, that's the worst thing you can do to somebody is wait to see if it's going to be true or not. Okay? We need to embrace them and love them just as Christ loves us. That is what we need to do. You know, there's so, many, there's so much anxiety out there nowadays. As, as a person, as a mental health worker on the front lines, I am seeing so much stuff, so much anxiety, so much anger, so much bitterness around COVID and what it's causing for people and all the different things that are happening. And you know, I'm, I'm hearing all these horror stories of people on both sides of the mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, on both sides, the horror stories that they're being told about people coming up to them, does you ream them out or for whatever, whatever purpose? And some of these people are Christians that are telling me about these stories from other Christians. That should not be. Where's our grace? Where's our love? Paul did everything out of love for his people to bring them into a right relationship with God, not to get his way. Not to let everybody know how bad they're doing, but to bring them back into a right relationship. He did it with grace and with love and compassion. How about for us today? Maybe you feel that you need to confront somebody today. Okay. We need to do this sometimes. What's your motivation? Are you so eager to do this? Or is it something that you're fearful of? Do you love these people? Do you care about them? What's going on for you? Are you going to talk about you, what is happening to you? Or are you going to talk about how what they're doing is all wrong? Do you want to draw them closer or do you want to push them away? Understand, it's up to them. But how we do it is incredibly important. 
we're either going to help the process of them coming back to God, or we're going to hinder that process. Which one are you going to be? So as we look into the Word of God here today, as we look into what God is talking to us here today about compassion and love and the joy that comes. See, we should be so joyful when a Christian fellow believer comes back into right relationship with God. We should be exuberant about it. So many of us are just, ah, we'll wait and find out what happens. That should not be, brothers and sisters. Let us welcome people back with love and compassion, fully back. Let us confront with love and compassion. Let us confront with grace and dignity. Let us confront with fear and trembling of what we're doing. Check on ourselves. What is our motivation? Is it to bring someone closer to God? Or is it just to air our anger? Let's pray. Hmm. Dear me, Father, gracious God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, Lord. All the things that are going on nowadays in our world today. Father, help us to have grace. Help us to have love. Help us to have compassion to each other and to the world around us. Father, help us to confront the way you would want us to in a way that will bring people back to relationship with you. That's what Paul did. That was his whole goal, was to bring everybody back to you, Father. And when they came back, he was overjoyed. He was so excited about the whole thing, Lord. Even the hardships he had in Macedonia were nothing compared to the joy that was happening around him because of what was happening with his, the people in Corinth. Father, help us to love Help us to have compassion. Help us, Father, not to do anything, just to air our anger, but let us to do it out of love, to bring people back to you, Father. Give us the grace that we need and the strength that we need to do that, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen.